Let's start this morning over in Second Peter chapter 1. We're uh, teaching a series on uh, the life of God. And uh, while you're turning to Second Peter, the first chapter, I'll remind you of some other scriptures that we have started with that are kind of our, our text scriptures. John chapter 1 and verse 4, speaking of Jesus, it said, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. John chapter 5 and verse 26, Jesus said, For as the Father has life in Himself, so also has He given unto the Son to have life in Himself. And then John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said, The thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It's interesting in John chapter 10 that the opposite of stealing is life. He's making the contrast. The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So the opposite of stealing is life. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So he's talking about opposites. The opposite of stealing is life. The opposite of killing is life. The opposite of destroying is life. Now, the word, uh, there are several words, four different words that are used in the uh, New Testament that are translated from the Greek language into the, into the English language as life. Uh, one of them, the one that we're focusing on, is the Greek word zoe, Z-O-E. And it's always used in reference to the life of God. This, uh, the verse, uh, all three of those verses that we quoted, John 1, 4, Matthew, uh, John 5, 26, and John 10, 10, all are talking about and use the Greek word zoe to translate into the English word life. Now, Jesus didn't make up a new word. The Holy Ghost didn't make up a new word for life, but he used a word that was uh, indicative and used exclusively throughout the New Testament to mean the life of God. The same kind of life that God has is the kind that Jesus had, which is the kind Jesus came to bring us. Now, this is the life that happens, that occurs, that uh, that takes place in us, that is distributed to us at the new birth. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. One translation says a new species of being. Well, how do you become a new species of being? By receiving the life of God. It goes on to say that old things have passed away, meaning the things of death, spiritual death, and behold, all things have become new. Well, we know not all things physically become new at the new birth. We know that mental things don't become new at the new birth. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the spirit of man is recreated by the life of God. Now, folks, this is the one thing that distinguishes Christianity from any other philosophy, religion, idea, good notion, or any other word you want to put on it from anything else in the world. There is no other religion on the face of the earth that claims to change the nature of the individual. Now, the church world, by and large, focuses on behavior. But there are other words that are translated from the Greek into the English as the word life that talk about behavior. When Jesus talked about life, he's not talking about behavior. He's talking about nature. He's talking about something that occurs on the inside that can only be given of God. And that's what the new birth is about. It's about receiving the life and the nature of God. Now, over in Second Peter chapter 1, did you find that yet? Well, if not, raise your hand. We'll get you help. Second Peter chapter one, notice beginning in verse three, verse two, it says, Peter speaking to believers said, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now I like to define grace. There's a lot of different definitions of grace and I don't like most of them that are used. The one that's used uh, most often, I guess, is uh, unmerited favor. Well, when I hear that, I don't think of favor. I think of unmerited. So that doesn't help me much. It doesn't tell me what belongs to me. But really the grace of God is anything and everything that, Je- that God has done for us through Jesus. So I like to define grace as the finished work of Jesus. Amen? 
Because everything, salvation is by grace. Everything that God has done for us is through Jesus, and that's by grace. In other words, God's desire to send his son to complete the work and the plan of redemption so that you and I might be his children and all have all the benefits that go along with that. So grace and peace, the finished work of Jesus, everything that belongs to us through Jesus and peace are multiplied to us one and only one way, and that is to the knowledge of God. Notice to the knowledge of God. It's, In other words, it's our coming to the understanding of what's ours, not God giving us more. Because God can't give you more than you got in the new birth. You got everything. The Bible says you are complete in him, finished, full to the brim. You're complete in him. God's not waiting for you to get better so that he can give you more along the way and more and more and more and more and more. That's not the way it works. That's how most people seem to have the idea that uh, the spiritual growth or spiritual development works. As we become more and more righteous, God gives us more. That's not true. You can't become more righteous than you were when you were born again by the blood of Jesus. That's as righteous as you can get. Now, you can grow in your understanding of righteousness. You can grow in the knowledge of who you are and the righteousness of God that you've been made, but you can't grow in righteousness. If you could grow in righteousness, then the blood of Jesus wasn't enough to get the work done. But the fact is the blood of Jesus cleansed you once and for all from all sin. Doesn't mean you won't miss it along the way. Thank God we have an advocate. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's talking about unrighteous action. He's not talking about nature. God cleansed you of your unrighteous nature once and for all through the blood of Jesus. But the confession of our sins, when we do miss it, cleanses us from the unrighteous behavior. But you don't have to have your nature changed again. In other words, sin doesn't change your nature from righteousness to sinner. It may be an example of your behavior as a sinner, as a choice to participate in sin, but you are the nature of God, which is righteousness. And that comes to the new birth. So grace and peace be multiplied unto us through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power. Notice this. He's talking about something that's already happened. He's writing to believers, writing to children of God, just like you and me. According as his divine power has given unto us, that's past tense, has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. This word life is the word zoe. He's given us, already has given us unto us all things that pertain unto Zoe, the God kind of life and righteousness, and I'm sorry, and godliness through the knowledge, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Anybody ever get saved without the knowledge of Jesus? Isn't it the knowledge of Jesus that causes us to, to choose to accept him as our Lord and Savior? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about something that's already happened. According as his divine power, God's divine power. Anybody explain to me how the life of God comes into you? Anybody examine their new birth experience? The experience of when they got saved and have got it all figured out about how the life of God changed them instantly? Anybody understand that? If so, please come see me after the service. Because I don't have a clue. I just know the Bible says it and it happens. The power of God's too much for me to figure out. But notice it says, this is what his power has done. His power has translated you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That's what this means. The divine power has given you already, already within you, if you're born again, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, everything you'll ever need concerning and pertaining to the life of God and godliness. That's godly behavior. 
Not only is your nature changed, but you've got the power to live godly a godly lifestyle. That's already been given to us. According as His divine power has given, already given to us, all things that pertain to life, the life of God. I'm sorry I'm camping here, but it's amazing that God said you've already got everything you'll ever need. Well, if we've got everything we already need, Father, why is it we need so much? That's what he's going to explain in verse 4. According as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby, for this reason, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, in other words, he's talking about the word of God, the scripture, that by these scriptures you might be partakers of the divine nature. It's one thing to have it in verse 3 and another thing to partake of it in verse 4. In other words, it's one thing to have the life of all things that pertain to life and godliness inside of you, being made a new creature in Christ Jesus, a new species of being. It's one thing to have it resident inside of you. It's another thing to know what it is and partake of it or live it out in your life. Now, folks, I would submit to you that most of the church world, at least in America, is stuck between verse 3 and 4. They have received all things that pertain to life and godliness, but they don't have a clue what they have. And so, therefore, they're not partakers of it. They're going to get to heaven, and you hear people say this, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask the Lord why he let these things happen to me. When in reality, they're going to get to heaven, and God's going to say, why weren't you a partaker of the divine nature? You already had everything you need, everything that pertained to life and godliness. Whereby are given unto us for this reason, because we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have received the word of God, that by this, the word of God, you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped. Notice it doesn't say you're going to escape. It says you have escaped. Having escaped, past tense, the corruption that is in the world through lust. In other words, that's a, a, a King James English way of saying spiritual death. You have already escaped all the consequences of spiritual death. Now, if you want to be a partaker of that kind of lifestyle, it's going to take living by the word. Now, let me remind you of a couple other scriptures, and you can turn to them if you want to. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, Jesus, uh, well, Matthew 4 tells us about when Jesus was tempted of the devil. The devil came with three temptations. The first temptation the devil came to him with was uh, hunger, physical hunger. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, Jesus has fasted for 40 days. Now he's hungry. His body's starting to break down. And he had a physical body just like we do, although it wasn't tainted by sin. But anyway, his body is starting to break down because of the lack of food. <clears throat> and so the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones that they might be made bread. And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, let me ask you a question. Obviously, he's talking about natural life, Right. He's talking about his life here on the earth. That's what Satan is tempting him with. He's saying you're at the point of death. If you're really the son of God, use your power, the power given you from heaven. Use that power to turn stones into bread. In other words, put your physical body first. If you're really the son of God, put your physical body first so that you won't die a natural physical death. Now, Jesus said, remember, in him was life, the life of God. 
As the Father has life in himself, so is he given unto the Son, Jesus, to have life in himself. That's the same life that Jesus came to, to, uh, to overcome the devil's work of killing, stealing, and destroying. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He knows exactly who the devil is and he knows exactly how the devil works. Right? So he knows, from what he told us in John chapter 10, he knows that the overcoming of the devil is through the life of God, through appropriating, through partaking, through, a, through uh, accessing the life of God and the benefits thereof, right? Now, the devil's trying to get him to put his body first. Now, I would submit to you folks, it seems like not a bad thing to do. If you've got the power to make bread, make bread and eat and live. But Jesus talks about a life that goes beyond the physical life. He says, here's how a man really lives. In other words, the life that he's talking about in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, has got to be the same life that's in him already, has got to be the same kind of life that he's brought to come to bring us. So where he says, man shall not live. In other words, access the nature of God, the divine nature. Man shall not live by bread alone. Well, then how do we live? How do we operate in this life of God? How do we participate in what God wants us to live, the kind of life that he wants us to live here on the earth. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So you got two witnesses already. Second Peter 1, 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. He says that the word of God is the key to being a partaker of the divine nature. That's the life of God. Jesus said the key to man's life is not the physical but the word of God that brings life to your spirit, that enables you to operate from your spirit instead of from your flesh, right? John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus speaking to the multitude is being accused of a lot of things, and Jesus turns around and he said, it is the spirit that quickeneth or maketh alive. The flesh profits nothing. Now, what would you assume he's talking about making alive to mean, if not the new birth, if not receiving the life of God? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So you got three witnesses, and we could find a lot more if we took the time. you got three witnesses right off the bat that says the key to the life of God is the word of God. Let me show you something else. You're right here in 2 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1. Turn back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me show you what Jesus or what uh, Peter said about the word of God to the church, talking to the Christians. Verse 23, 1 Peter 1, 23, he said, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. In other words, he's saying the life of God even comes to us by the word of God. So we're made a partaker initially of the life of God by the word. He says you can be a partaker daily, continually, by accessing and appropriating the life of God. Can you say amen? Now, what does that mean? Well, let's back up and look at the big picture a little bit. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 tells us that creation, God said, let us make man in our own image. Up until that point in time, he's made all the animals. He's made everything, all the fish, all the the, uh, the creatures of the earth, the birds of the air and the, the creatures of the sea, and everything, that's, every living thing has been made except mankind. And he says, let us make man in our own image. Now, Psalm chapter 8, Psalm 8, tells us about how the angels marveled at that 
And they said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Thou hast made him a little lower than yourself. Literally, the Hebrew says, you have made him a little lower than yourself. King James says the angels, but that word that's translated angels is the word Elohim, which is always used in the Old Testament for God. Literally says, you've made him just a shade lower than yourself. I think it's Young's literal translation that says that. Just a shade lower than yourself. And you've given him dominion over the works of your hand. That's what Genesis one twenty six says God said. Let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and everything that creeps upon the face of the earth. The angels hear that and they say, what? What is this thing called man? Now, let me ask you, let me point something out to you, folks. The Bible indicates to us that there was something here before. Because when God creates the earth, what we know of as the, the, uh, the six days of creation, it literally says God recreated the earth. It literally says that there was the earth and the earth was without form and void. Isaiah 45 verse 18 said God didn't make it that way. God did not create it in vain. That's uh, King James says in vain is literally the same translation, the same phrase. He created it not without form and void. So in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And by the time we get to verse 2 of Genesis 1, the earth is without form and void. But God didn't make it that way. So something had to cause it to become that way. Right? I mean, that's that's simple logic, isn't it? If God didn't create the earth without form and void, but it became without form and void, then something happened. Now, whatever that something happened was, God put man in the middle of it, and he said, replenish the earth. He did not say, be fruitful and populate the earth. He said, replenish the earth, which indicates that the earth had been populated at one time before. Now, what was that? I have no clue. Is it possible that the the caveman fossils and all this kind of stuff had to do with the, the race of beings that was here before Genesis 1, the recreation of the earth. Yeah, I guess so. I'm not an archaeologist. I'm not a geologist. I'm not really up on that kind of stuff. But I guess, yeah, that, that's possible. I don't know. But one thing I do know, I know that whatever was here before wasn't man. Because when God said, let us make man in our own image, the angels say, what is man? So there's nothing been, there has nothing been on the earth Prior to that point in time, anything that resembles or anything that is in the likeness of man, anything meaning anything in God's image. So is it possible there was some kind of race of, of beings here before? Yeah, maybe so. Is it possible that science is right when it says the earth is 6 billion years old? Yeah, it's possible. We don't know how old the earth is. It says in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. We don't know how old it is. We just know how old man is. We can trace that back to 6,000 years. Now, some scientists and and uh, through discoveries and fossils and stuff like that, they try to say man is a lot older than that because look at what we found. Well, whatever you found before 6,000 years ago wasn't man. I don't discount that they found stuff, but whatever it was, sir, wasn't man. Because God said 6,000 years ago, let us make man in our own image. Folks, it's impossible for science to refute the Bible. If the Bible is the word of God, it's impossible for science to refute it. So whereas some people see scientific discoveries and they say, well, see, that disproves the Bible. That's ridiculous. That just means we're not looking at it the right way. Because the Bible is the word of God. I mean, at the end, scientists are going to stand before God and, and realize, oh, the Bible was true. I'm not sure how that works, but I hope that God's got a big stadium set up so we can watch some of this stuff. Because there are some folks 
Bless their heart, there are some folks that I'm really looking forward to hearing them answer for the stuff that they're doing right now. But maybe it's not how it works, I don't know. So anyway, God said, let us make man in our own image. What does that mean? Well, we know man is made in the likeness of God, meaning that he resembles him. But made in his image means the same nature and the same class of being as God himself. And that's what the angels are flummoxed at. That's why they say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Because angels are spirit beings, yet they're not in the image of God. It's something greater than the angels that God created when he put man on the earth. So he said, let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion. The purpose for God creating man as a spirit being in his image was to give him dominion. Man was created to have dominion over the earth. Man was not created to serve the earth. Folks that have got the idea that man needs to go back to the Stone Age so that the earth can heal have got it wrong. Most of those people are wanting to fly their jets while you will ride a bicycle. But that's wrong-mindedness. Man was created to have dominion on the earth. I get amused when some people start talking about the dolphins, how intelligent the dolphins are. Well, show me dolphin cities. Show me their great advances. Now, man was made in God's image. Man was created to have dominion on the earth. Now, one of the things that's always fascinated me that the Bible tells us is that God walked after he made Adam and Eve. God walked in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam. What in the world are they walking and doing? Why does the Bible tell us he walked with Adam every day? Now, we know that Adam was created a a mature adult. He wasn't created as as a child to grow up. He was created as a mature adult with a, a, an adult understanding, certainly, and greater than anything that we would know of as an adult understanding, because the capacity of his mind, when there was no, the creation was perfect, there was no presence of sin, there was no trace of sin or anything related to death whatsoever, which means his body wasn't decaying, which means there was nothing on the earth, even though things matured, even though animals were being born and, and, and growing up, even though plants were creating seed that would propagate and, and, and reproduce other plants, things would mature, but nothing would decay. Because decay is the product of sin and death. And there was no presence of that. So Adam was created just like you and me. He was created a spirit being who had a soul. Now, the soul always receives impulses from the five physical senses. The, ta- the, the sense of sight, the sense of taste, the sense of smell, the sense of hearing, and the sense of touch. That's what feeds our soul. That's what gives information to our soul. Everything your mind knows, it knows through the five physical senses. Everything your mind has learned from the earth is through the five physical senses. That's because that's the way God designed it. But God designed it to receive information from a perfect creation. Meaning the source of all the information that Adam received on his own through his five physical senses was perfect. It was without the taint or even the hint of sin and death until he fell. I can imagine that when Adam is walking with God in the cool of the day, he's coming to him with stuff he learned that day. He's coming to him with things that the creation provided to him through his five physical senses. And he's saying, God, tell me about this. In other words, I know this is how it works. Tell me why. 
I can imagine that Adam walking with God in the cool of the day was all about God answering Adam's questions. I'd sure have some, wouldn't you? I can imagine that that's the whole reason God had a set appointment with him every day in the afternoon. Because this guy is so intelligent, he's gaining so much information, there is so much that's flooding him as far as his mind and his soul is concerned. I'm going to have to answer his questions so that he can understand how things really work. Why? Because God created him to have dominion. Who would put a guy in charge without knowing how things work? So nothing could harm him. There was nothing that could harm. Adam Adam was accident-free. At least any accident that would hurt him was out of the question. I guess if you fell down, you didn't skin your knee. The creation was perfect in every manner and in every way until sin entered into the scene, which means that everything that Adam received as a source of information, whether it came directly from God talking to him or whether it came through his five physical senses, was perfect. And the source of it was God. That's how God created man to operate. So that the source of his information comes from his creator. But man messed it up. Man obeyed Satan. Sin entered the scene. And Romans 5.12 says, death passed upon all men. For by one man, sin entered the world. And death passed upon all men. What does that mean? Now it means the creation has been polluted. It's been corrupted. Now, not everything that happens is according to life, the way that God created it. Now the law of sin and death is operating. Man begins to decay. His body begins to decay. The creation begins to decay. And everything that provides information to Adam's five physical senses is not pure and uncorrupted any longer. Which means that man who was created in the image of God and the whole purpose for that was to have dominion. How is he going to exercise dominion? Through the spiritual forces that God placed within him. Since God is the source of his life, the origin of his dominion has to be his spirit. Otherwise, why couldn't the animals rule? No, it's the fact that God made that man in his own image that gave him dominion. Which means dominion comes from your spirit, not from your body. How do we exercise dominion? That, my dear, is the million-dollar question. If the church can figure out how to exercise dominion, the church has got it made. And the answer is very simple. You exercise dominion through spiritual forces. God looked into the nothingness and said, let there be light, and there was light. Why? Because the nature of God, the life of God, through the exercise of God himself, his spirit, his nature, his essence, who he is, causes physical things to change. And God said, that's the way I want to make man. I want to make man so that when he exercises spiritual forces from himself, from the source of his life, those spiritual forces can change the physical world around him. Think about what happened when the curse fell upon the earth. Adam sinned. What happens? Immediately the earth changes. God says, now the earth will produce for you only through the sweat of your brow, which means it wasn't like that beforehand. Now, I don't know what it was like beforehand, but it wasn't that. He said, now the earth will bring forth thorns and thistles. It'll only come to produce fruitfully for you when you overcome it, when you subdue it, when you through physical effort 
make it work for you. It wasn't through the physical effort of man before that the earth produced for him. Well, if it didn't produce for him through the physical effort, what did it produce for him through? Could it have been something of his spirit? Could it have been through the exercise of spiritual forces? Could he have spoken and things on the earth came in line with what he said? That would have been a lot like God, wouldn't it? I don't know. It's possible. In my thinking, it's probable to some degree at least. But all that changed. All that changed when the earth, when the creation now begins feeding information to man that's unreliable. Unreliable in the sense that the source of that information is no longer God, but the source of that information is the the enemy, the devil, who has now instituted through man's failure the law of sin and death in operation. Can you understand what I'm saying? What did Jesus come to do? I am come that you might have life. The devil came, the thief comes not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He's saying the opposite of killing, stealing, and destroying, which is what the the earth produced after spiritual death began to rule. The earth began to steal from man. The earth began to rob from him. The earth began to operate in destruction instead of perfection. Jesus said the opposite of those things is life. And I'm come that you might have that life and that you might have it more abundantly. For what purpose? To overcome the stealing of the devil, the killing of the devil, and the destroying of the devil. Look at how many things happen, tragedies that happen on the earth that God gets the blame for. Somebody related a story to me the other day of an acquaintance of theirs just had a husband who committed suicide. And he wasn't aware of all the situation, and so he was trying to encourage him in the things of God, that God will be with you, and, and, and this, that, and the other one in your time of grief and, and so forth. And, and she responded back, you know, no offense, but where was God when my husband shot himself? Well, folks, God's not going around shooting people. I understand that the lady is grieving, and I, I sympathize with her grief, and I'll grieve with her. But God's not shooting people. God's not the reason the guy shot himself. No, instead, God was with him all the time telling him there's a different way out of this. He's trying to change it for his benefit, not helping him pull the trigger. But look at all the things God gets blamed for. Insurance policies even call hurricanes a disaster, natural disasters, acts of God. Okay. Folks, anything that steals, kills, and destroys, Jesus said, was of the devil. And he said, he has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, overcome the stealing, killing, and destroying through the life of God. Through the life of God. Now, what are we to do now? Well, Jesus said, in spite of the earth and the, li- the law of sin and death is still operating in the earth, you can live apart and free from that law of sin and death through the life of God. That life of God has made you a partaker of the divine nature, a partaker meaning that the life of God is in you and you now have all things, you have been given all things that pertain unto life, which would overcome stealing, killing, and destroying, and godliness. But what are we to do? We're to find out from the word how to be a partaker and live those things out. Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To what? To the word of God. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Folks, the word of God has transforming power. I'm not talking about just transformed from, from a sinner 
an unrighteous man to a born-again man. Thank God for that, but that happened for most of us many years ago. It still has transforming power today. It'll transform your life from wherever your situation is to the victory that we have in Jesus. But I would even go further as to say this. That's not dependent on God. That's dependent on you. Because God doesn't renew your mind. You do. But he gave us the information. He gave us everything that he would have told Adam in the Garden of Eden. Or the equivalent thereof. He gave you exceeding great and precious promises so that by these, by the word of God, you could be a partaker of the divine nature. You could live out the divine nature, the life of God in your own life. Whether or not you exercise those is up to you. Do you realize that spiritual forces are greater than natural forces? Spiritual forces are greater than anything you'll ever face. Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. Faith is of the heart which means it's a spiritual force. That means you can change anything by faith. Look at the life that Jesus lived as an example. Jesus, by faith, overcame the laws of physics and walked on water. Jesus, by faith, overcome, overcame the physical limitations, the, law, the limitations of physical laws and physical boundaries and multiplied loaves and fishes. He did the same thing when he turned water into wine. He violated physical laws by faith. Now, I'm not suggesting you go change your swimming pool into wine or that you try to walk across the top of it. Those are irrelevant issues to me as far as me participating in them, but the principle is what's important, and that is there is no physical limitation that cannot be overcome with the spiritual force of faith. And faith has to be based on the Word. It doesn't come down to just what you want to do. It comes down to What does the word say? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. In other words, these exceeding great and precious promises are the basis, the foundation, and the limitations on what we can do here in this life. And basically, Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believes. Anything goes. Anything goes. Turn with me over to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 4, he says, you are of God, little children. He's got to be talking to the church, right? Can't be a child of God unless you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. He said, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now, the overcome them that he's talking about refers to the previous verses. And he's talking about the spirit of the world. He's talking about the work of the devil and specifically evil spirits that are at work in the world. He said, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Notice he didn't say you will overcome them. He says you have overcome them because of who lives within you. Well, who lives within you? The Holy Spirit. How does he live within us? Because we were made new creatures in Christ. We received the life of God and the Holy Spirit came in. Look with me to chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Notice verse 4. He said, for whatsoever, literally whosoever, is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Please notice he didn't say, and this is the fight that overcomes the world. He didn't even say, this is how you overcome the world. He said, faith is the victory over the world already. All you have to do is exercise faith. Faith is a spiritual force. 
In other words, he's saying there is nothing that comes against you. There's no evil spirit. There's no work of the devil that comes against you that you haven't already overcome because the devil, because the Holy Spirit is greater than the devil and the Holy Spirit lives within you. And this is how you overcome. He that is born of God, whosoever is born of God, overcomes the world. Notice it doesn't say fights against the world. Doesn't say struggles with the world. Doesn't say holds on till the end. Barely scrapes by believing that God will deliver him someday when Jesus comes. Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. It's already done. The fight is over. You won. You didn't even have to fight. You're in Jesus. Jesus won, so you win. You're on the winning side. Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. In other words, this is how you become a partaker of the victory. Even our faith. Now, folks, think about the the beginning again. We talked about Adam a little bit. Think about after things changed in the earth when he fell. Immediately the light goes out. The light that was the life of God that clothed him now doesn't clothe him anymore. They see that they're naked and they're shamed. They must have been clothed with something before then because they didn't, they, their physical condition didn't change, but they weren't aware of their physical condition. You can't be aware of your body and your spirit at the same time. So the fact that they weren't aware of their body tells me that there was something spiritual that took place in them that clothed them. What would that be if it wasn't the light of God? I believe they were surrounded by a light. And when you looked at them, you saw the light instead of their bodies. But that's just me. But regardless, something happened. Something changed. Because they saw that their physical condition was different. They saw they were naked, and as a result of what they saw, now the first impulse that the Bible tells us about, the first thing that their five physical senses provided to them was sight concerning their bodies, and it caused an adverse reaction in them. It affected their emotions in an adverse way. They were ashamed. They've never been ashamed before. Now all of a sudden, they're ashamed. Why? Because of what's happened from the inside out. Not what happened from the outside. What happened from the inside out. Now, the first thing that the Bible tells us they received, the first bit of information the Bible tells us they received was corrupted information that caused the wrong feeling about them. They felt inferior in themselves. Right? And from that moment forward, there was no more uncorrupted information that the world is providing for them. Their mind is still subject. Their soul is still subject to the same five physical impulses, five physical senses that it was before they fell. But now the information they're receiving is not sourced from God. Now it's sourced from the evil one. Now it's sourced from the result of death, spiritual death, that is now operating and, and, uh, and ruling, dominating over the world. Adam's no longer in control. He's no longer the God of this world. Now Satan is. So what is man to do? Man's in the same condition. His condition is the information that he's receiving from this world is corrupted information. It's not sourced from God. It's sourced from the law of sin and death. 
So even after we're born again, even after we make Jesus the Lord of our lives and the Spirit of God, the life of God, the nature of God comes in and transforms us from within, now we're still subject, our minds are still subject to that same corrupted information from the five physical senses. Yet the Bible says that God has given us everything we need pertaining to life, the life of God, and godliness. The Bible tells us that we've already overcome them that are in the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The Bible says, whosoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. What is he saying? He's saying you're going to have to get beyond the information, the corrupted information of the five physical senses, if you're going to be a partaker of the divine nature. You already have it inside of you, but if you're going to live it out in your life to overcome stealing, killing, and destroying of the devil, you're going to have to operate according to new knowledge. Where does that new knowledge come from? The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Look at John chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus tells us how to get the work of the Holy Ghost, the greater one to work in prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. What's he saying? He's saying the word of God is the key to answered prayer. He's saying the word of God is the key to answered prayer. Now, who determines whether or not you pray the word, God or you? You determine that. See, your prayers being answered has more to do with you than it has to do with God. Why? Because God gave man dominion on the earth. God never changed his idea about man dominating the earth. God never changes. Only now it had to come a different way. Now it didn't come because man was God's original creation. Now it comes through man's recreation, the recreation of the human spirit by the divine life and nature of God imparted unto him. But he still has the same opportunity to to have dominion, to exercise dominion. But how does he exercise that dominion? How do we get the greater one, the Holy Spirit on the inside of us? How do we get that greater one to operate so that we can dominate over the devil's work of stealing, killing, and destroying? The Word of God. The Word of God. Turn with me back to, to Deuteronomy chapter 11. Can somebody turn the air on or get a little air moving in here? It, it doesn't bother me so much, but I see a lot of people nodding off. <laughs> and they're struggling with it too. I mean, it's not because they want to, they're fighting it. I know it can't be my preaching. <laughs> Therefore, it has to be the temperature. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Let me show you something even of the Old Testament. This was before man could even be born again. Let me show you what God intended and still intends for his people. Um, This is Moses talking to the children of Israel before he goes off the scene. Let's start reading in verse 8. I don't know how much I'll read. I, I could read the whole thing, but I don't know if I'll take the time to do it. Let's just see. Therefore shall you keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land whether you go to possess it. Now sometimes some folks are going to say right off the bat, yeah, this is Israel. It's God talking to Israel. Folks, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 that we have a better covenant established upon better promises than Israel ever had. Now if the same blessings don't belong to us that belong to Israel and more, then it can't be a better covenant. It might be a different covenant. Paul, who I believe wrote the book of Hebrews, whoever it was, was inspired by the Holy Ghost to say that we have a better covenant established upon better promises. There's only one thing that could cause it to be better. 
And that is to have everything they had plus some. Otherwise, it's just a different covenant. And the Holy Ghost did not inspire the writer, the author of Hebrews, to say, but we have a different covenant established upon different promises. No, we have everything Israel had plus some. We have the fulfillment of the new birth where they just had a promise of it. We had a, have a fulfillment of the life of God in us where they just had a promise of receiving the life of God through the Messiah that was yet to come. Now he's already come. For us, it's done. So we've got a lot more of God inside us than they could ever have. They never could have God inside them because they couldn't be recreated until the blood of Jesus was spilled. So the Bible says you've got a better covenant established upon better promises. I keep saying that because I want you to understand. If this that we're going to read that belongs to Israel doesn't belong to you in like manner, then you have a right to challenge God's justice. Because he said you had a better covenant. Well, yeah, but Pastor Mike, some people will get religious on you. They say, yeah, Pastor Mike, but that just means we've got a spiritual something that's better. Well, how could a spiritual something that's better that includes the life of God not include the blessings that he gave them as servants? You're telling me that being a servant of God under the old covenant without the, without the reality of the life of God in you is not as, uh, is better in some ways, physical ways, than the life of God in us now? When Jesus said the life of God was the opposite and the overcoming manner of the devil, the work of the devil, to steal, to kill, and to destroy? Come on. Now, I know a lot of people will ignore the truth to believe whatever religious doctrine they want to believe. That Okay, that's fine. But for goodness sakes, get out of the way for the rest of the people that want to achieve victory. I don't care if you want to believe the devil's lies. That's up to you, but quit standing in the way of other people that don't. But it seems to me the people that want to stand in the way of others are the ones that are determined more than anyone else to believe the devil's lies. you got folks out there, bless their hearts, that are now dedicating their life and their ministry to telling you that the works of the Holy Spirit are the most evil teaching in the body of Christ today. Really? Well, then how did you get saved? The Bible says you're born again by the Spirit of God. But oh no, this idea that the, that the, the speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit are in operation today and that God heals today like He did in Jesus' ministry. That's the most damnable heresy that's ever come into the body of Christ, one minister saying. Give me a break. You gotta be kidding me. When Jesus said that's what the way it was gonna be. The works that I do shall you do also and even greater works than you, these shall you do because I go unto my Father. And Jesus is the one said, I will give you another comforter who will abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because the world seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he shall dwell with you and be in you. Jesus said it was the Holy Ghost that was behind these things. Come on. Yet that's the way it works. These are promises that God made to his servants. As a type, everything about the Old Testament is a type of, uh, of the New Testament, which means it's an image, it's a shadow, it's a picture of something that was not as great, but greater is still to come. The greater was still to come. Not What they had was not as great as the other. So what does he say? He says, therefore shall you keep the commandments which I command you this day, that you may be strong. Notice the key to strength is keeping the word of God. That's why you've got so many weak Christians. You've got so many Christians that are questioning the will of God to heal, to save, to, to bless, to do good, to prosper, all this kind of stuff because they refuse to accept what the Word says. 
So they come upon a situation in life that they know is not good, and they pray, oh, Lord, let this be taken from me if it be your will. Now, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. It's pretty easy to figure out what stealing, killing, and destroying is, isn't it? I mean, do you need a degree for that? Jesus said anything that steals is of the devil. Anything that kills is of the devil. Anything that destroys is of the devil. Anything that's destroying your finances or your quality of life is of the devil. Anything that's destroying your health is of the devil. Anything that's robbing you of any blessing of the good thing for your family is of the devil. Do you really have to pray, God, if it's your will? When Jesus already told you who was behind what? I'm sorry, but this stuff makes me frosty. Because the biggest hindrance in the body of Christ today is not the devil. It's wrong doctrine. And wrong doctrine is not coming from the devil. It's coming from preachers. Well, ultimately it comes from the devil, but it's coming through preachers. You find the, the, the epistles, the letters that Paul wrote to the church. He gave more warnings about wrong teachers than he did anything else. He warned the church more about wrong doctrine than any other thing. Okay, let me read. <laughs> Therefore shall you keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that you may be strong. The key to being strong is the word. In other words, the word makes you a partaker of the divine nature. God's divine nature is strength. You ever been to the Father and Him say, well, I just don't know if I can do that. That's pretty big. Nothing's too big for God. You've got His nature. Nothing should be too big for you because you've got the greater one on the inside. Therefore shall you keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that you may be strong. For what purpose? And go in and possess the land whether you go to possess it. Notice you're still the one that possesses it. Why? Because the law of sin and death is still operating in the earth, but not in you. You've got the life and the nature of God that overcomes the world. But you still have to go in and possess it. And if you're going to go in and possess it, meaning possess all the blessings of God, take dominion in your life over the works of the devil, it means you're going to have to be strong to do it. Weak people don't take possession of God's blessings. John Lake used to call this the strong man's way to God, and he's exactly right. Unfortunately, not all Christians want to be strong. They'd rather sit back and whine about the circumstances, get other people to feel sorry for them, like that's going to help. But they still prefer to do that. Verse 9, and that you may prolong your days. He's talking about the same thing. Keep the commandments. Not only does it make you strong and enable you to possess the land, but it also makes you prolong your days in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give unto them and to their seed a land that flows with milk and honey. Notice God's plan, even under the old covenant, was a land that flows with milk and honey, not a land where you barely scrape by. And notice the days, your days and the blessings of God are determined by you and your attitude toward the word and not by God. God's not picking winners and losers. He made everybody a winner through Jesus. For the land, verse 10, whether thou go in to possess it, it is not the land of Egypt which you came out from where you watered your seed and watered or sowed your seed and watered it with your foot as a garden of herbs. They, they walk these treadmill type things to, to get the Nile River to produce water in other places, to, to pump water in other places because it wasn't, uh, that was the only water they had. But the land, whether you go to possess it, is a land of hills and valleys that drinketh water of the rain of heaven. Now, folks, if that's not a type of God providing for you wherever you are, I don't know what is. Verse 11. 
It drinks rain from heaven. It drinks water from the rains of heaven. In other words, God is your source, not the land. But you still have to be strong. You still have to possess the land. You still have to prolong your days in that land. And how do you do that? Through the Word. A land which the Lord thy God careth for. The eyes of the Lord thy God are always upon it from the beginning of the year, even unto the end of the year. You're telling me that God cares more about the geography of Israel than He does your spiritual inheritance through Jesus? Seriously? Somebody want to make that case? Come on. And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments. Notice he's emphasizing the word again already, just a couple of verses later. If you hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, and I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou mayest eat and be full. Notice God says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus said the same thing in John chapter 15. He that loveth me is he that keepeth my commandments. God saying to the old covenant, uh, old covenant people of Israel, He's saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and look at the blessings that will come. You'll have plenty. Everything will be good. Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived and turn you aside and serve other gods and worship them. That would be false doctrine, wouldn't it? That'd be something other than the word of God pull them uh, to distract them and pull them astray. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, unless you perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Now, folks, God didn't change from the old covenant to the new covenant. Notice what it says God gets mad at. God gets mad when people reject his word. God gets mad whether you're children of God or whether you're the, the... People of the world, unsaved. God gets mad when people reject the truth of the word because he wants you to follow his word so that he can bless you. He wants you to follow his word so that he can be- you can become children of his, part of his family, and so that he can cause the reign of heaven, the blessing of God to come down upon you. God gets mad when he can't bless you. Verse 18, therefore shall you lay up these words in your heart and in your soul. Notice the emphasis is on the word, the commandments of God. And bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thy house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon the gates. Now, what is he saying? He's saying, make the word of God part of your life. Make it part of your home life. Make it a part of your family life. Make it a part of you. It's not just in church. A part of your life, your daily life. For what purpose? To what end? Verse 21, that your days may be multiplied. Notice keeping the word makes you live longer. That your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. As the days of heaven upon the earth. Folks, is there any other example that we have in the scripture of anything that would be like heaven on earth? Yeah. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Before sin tainted the picture. Before the earth was corrupted. 
Those were days of heaven upon the earth because there was nothing that could hurt. There was nothing that could kill. There was nothing to steal, kill, and destroy. There was no presence of the enemy, no presence of death, no hint, no trace of any uh, of death in any form or the consequences thereof. Not even a trace. And God is saying, even though the law of sin and death is operating on the earth and the devil is still the God of this world, you can overcome that law of sin and death just by simply being a doer of the word. Just simply by keeping the commandments of God, God will cause his blessings to be on you in such a manner that it will be like there is no sin in the earth whatsoever as far as you're concerned. Days of heaven on the earth. That's an old covenant promise. And we've got a better covenant established upon better promises. God's plan hadn't changed. This is what God wanted for his servants in Israel. And the old covenant is what he wants for his children now. Now, folks, if I'm adding something to the Bible, somebody speak up and tell me. Verse 22, for if you shall diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you, to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to cleave unto them. Please notice again, the emphasis is on the word, and it's saying if you love God, you keep his commandments. Here's the way you love God is to be a doer of the word. Then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you shall possess greater nations and mightier nations than yourselves. In other words, he's saying the word of God is the key to God operating on your behalf against those that come against you. Verse 24, every place whereupon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. Now, you can't tell me that belongs to Israel more than it belongs to us because Israel was a specific geographical boundary territory. It had specific boundaries, physical boundaries. The blessings of God do not. This works for them within a certain geographic territory. It works for you anywhere on the face of the earth. Every place that the sole of your foot shall, t- shall, whereupon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. From the wilderness he gives the boundaries. Verse 25, there shall no man be able to stand before you. For the Lord your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread upon, as he has said unto you. Verse 26, behold, I set, a ble- set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. Please notice the choice is the individual's, not God's. He says you can go either way you want to. You can go blessing, you can go curse. It's up to you. In other words, even under the old covenant, where there was no opportunity to experience the life of God within, there was no opportunity to have God living on the inside of them, which we take for granted. We have it easily. We take it for granted. They couldn't have it under the old covenant. But even under the covenant that there was not possible for them to have what we already have, God is saying, your enemies shall flee before you. Everything that you touch will be yours. Everything that you put your hand to will prosper. Everything that's good will come upon you because of the blessing of God. And he says, but it's your choice. And folks, man still has the same choice. Christians still have the same choice. I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. Please notice it's not God making the choice. It's not God saying now, here's there's good news and there's bad news. Good news, some of you are really going to have blessings. The bad news, uh, some of you haven't been chosen for that. 
Yet that's the way the church preaches Jesus and preaches the world, preaches God's operating in the world. He, no, God said, I set before you a blessing and a curse. After he's told you four or five times, the word of God is the key. It's the key to being strong. It's the key to possessing the land. It's the key to having the blessings of God and the rain from heaven in your land. It's the key to having the days of heaven on the earth. After telling you over and over again, the word of God is the key. He says, now I set before you a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandments. Verse 28, and a curse if you will not obey the commandments. Of the Lord your God, but turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which you have not known. Then it talks about other things about possessing the land. We'll stop reading there. Please notice that he's saying the key to overcoming the world, even under the old covenant, where they couldn't have the life of God on the inside of them. He said the key to overcoming the world is one and only one thing, and that is Keeping the word of God. Comes back to what Adam did. Everything Adam said in the beginning. Everything that he operated in, in the Garden of Eden before sin messed things up. Everything he had was sourced from God. All the knowledge he had came from God. All the information he had came from God. All the words that he had to speak came from the knowledge of God that he had. And as long as he was speaking God's word, as long as he was operating on the knowledge that God had provided him, he was the master of the world. Now under the old covenant, after sin and death takes over the world, Satan becomes the God of this world. Now God says to Israel, I'm making a way out of this law of sin and death for you. That way out is to choose to obey the commandments of God. Now, if you'll obey the commandments of God, there'll be blessings coming upon you in such manner that it'll be days like heaven on the earth. It'll be like it was in the beginning before sin ever came into the scene, came into the picture. But if you don't, your choice. If you don't, there'll be a curse. And you'll be subject to the same destruction, the same stealing, the same killing, the same destroying that the rest of the world is because Satan is the God of that world. God is literally saying, here's how you overcome the physical laws of the earth. Be a doer of the word. The word of God is given unto you to be a partaker of the divine nature, to live out the nature of God, to live out a life of victory, to live out the greater one on the inside of you simply by faith. How do we do that? Again, we have to change the information that the five physical senses are getting from the corrupted nature of the earth to the pure, unadulterated word of God. You become somebody that thinks the word, speaks the word, lives the word in your life, and there's nothing the devil will ever be able to do to overcome you. Doesn't mean that he won't have momentary victories. It may look like he's going to win on a thing or two, but you keep being a doer of the word and there's nothing the devil can do to overcome the power of God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says this. It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful. King James says quick and powerful. Another translation says full of life and power and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even, piercing asunder to the dividing even of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow. In other words, it's saying the word of God is the only thing that can divide between your soul and your spirit. And the key is to living out of your spirit so that you can walk in the blessings of God. Folks, let me encourage you to do something. Don't accept one moment of defeat from the enemy. Don't compromise. Well, okay, this is not God's best, but it could be worse. Don't take one thing that the enemy brings and accept it. Not one. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 
Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory, the victory, not the fight, the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. May not work overnight, but bless God, it will work because God's word always works. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the greater one, the comforter that dwells within us and lives within inside of us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Father, it doesn't matter that we feel inadequate because all of us do. It doesn't matter that we feel like we don't have what we need to overcome because the greater one lives in us. Thank you, Father, that as we act upon your word, faith in your word, we have the victory in every area. We have the victory over sin. We have the victory over sickness. We have the victory over poverty. We have victory in every area of life because of the life of God that indwells us. Thank you, Father, that you changed our nature. You changed our nature to be the nature of God, the nature of the victor, the nature of the overcomer. And because we are of your nature, you never lose, so we never lose. You never fail, so we never fail. You never come up short, so we never come up short. Thank you, Father, that through your word we have strength to possess our land, possess all the blessings of God. We thank you, Father, that because we are doers of the word, our lives are like days of heaven on the earth. It may not look like that in our circumstances right now, Father, and it may not feel like that, but we know by the word of God that that's exactly what's working out in our lives. We love you, Father. Help us to know, help us to be aware of the life of God that we've received. The greatness of your nature. That nature that brings us revelation. That nature that brings us boldness of faith. That nature that gives us dominion. That nature that gives us a miraculous life. A supernatural work of the Holy Ghost to help other people. Even as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit in us would be like rivers of living water flowing from within us, our innermost being. Father, let those rivers flow. Let those rivers flow to help other people. Let those rivers flow to bring your word to pass in our lives. Let those rivers flow to cause others around us to see your favor and your blessing upon us. That they might want the life that we have. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, folks, sometimes I wish I was a preacher. No, serious. I'm, I'm being serious with you. I, I, I don't know how to preach. But sometimes I feel like just running around the room might help. You know? And I know the things that the Word is telling us should make us want to run around the room. Now, I don't care if you run around this room or not. But for goodness sakes, run around your room at home because of the greater one living on the inside of us. Amen. Let's all stand. Let me invite you to come back this evening at five o'clock to prayer school and six o'clock to healing school if you can. We love you. God bless you. Go and have a supernatural week. Amen. Amen. God bless you.